0: Hi, this is Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries. This is another episode of Theology Applied. Today we're going to be discussing the problem of biblical illiteracy, especially here in churches in America, and what you as a Christian can do about it. I'm pleased to have as a special guest Dave Jenkins, and now you're listening to Theology Applied Applying God's Word to every aspect of
1: life. This is Theology Applied.
0: All right, Dave Jenkins, could you go ahead and just take a moment and introduce yourself to uh, our listeners, tell them about you, about your ministry and uh, whatever else you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, well, the the first and most important thing is I was saved by the grace of God at the age of 5. I was sitting on my mother's lap and I just we got in like in a little rear end bumper, nothing major, nobody got hurt, but I just recognized at that moment that I needed I needed Jesus. Now I didn't have all the, you know, the theological categories at the age of 5. I really didn't have that start studying theology until I was 13. And uh, at 13, I just started devouring. I just had an overwhelming hunger for theology and the Bible and just started consuming it. Uh, That took me, uh, you know, all all, to go on mission trips and all sorts of things, starting Servants of Grace, writing, doing youth ministry and uh, starting Servants of Grace at the age of 19, uh, fresh out of high school. Um, I'd had an email list and was writing uh, for people then in high school, and uh, that was growing. And and then when I started online, it it kind of just took off. This is 2000, so before blogs and before podcasts were a thing, um, here I was do- going at it. And uh, then in 2001, I got asked to start speaking on an internet radio station and started preaching expository verse-by-verse sermons through there. Um, 21 at the time and and kept doing that and god kept blessing it Um, that ministry i i married my beautiful wife at the age of 26 she's sarah outside of my salvation she is the best gift i could spend this whole interview talking about her she is an immense blessing i wouldn't be able to do what i do uh so you asked me before we recorded what do i do the simple answer to that 50 million dollar question that i get asked a lot is i am an author a writer editor podcaster speaker um you know service of grace as I, I, I work at service of grace i'm full time with them i'm the executive director we have a magazine uh, theology for life we have many podcasts the one your listeners might know is a clipping you in grace i've had uh, a number of guys michael horton and uh many others doreen virtue uh, elisa childers uh on and on it goes but uh, i've been I've been blessed to do that now for uh let's see almost in august it'll be 21 years so uh wow. thank god's grace i'm just gonna keep going on and keep my hand to the plow and you know until they shut me down and tell me i can't do it anymore well then i'll go do something else i'll, I'll go uh you know wherever they put me to say Can i can't do that i'll go out on the street and i've done street work too so i'm not afraid to go cool. out on the street and Preach Jesus, and so they put me in prison. Great, uh, another opportunity mm-hmm. to preach the gospel and uh, raise up future leaders for God's glory. So, Amen. That's great. Uh, yeah, we
0: we need uh, we need bold men who are willing to fight for the truth of the gospel. We also need bold men willing to fight for the truth of the gospel, and not necessarily in vocational ministry, uh, but in other fields, other vocations, like starting a solid social media and tech platform that Christians can use that won't get shut down or kicked off of Amazon and Apple and everything else. So good luck with that. Mm -hmm. If there's any nerdy Christian guy listening to this podcast. (laughs) Set your heart uh, to that task and get it done for us. We need somebody to come through. So um, all that being said, let's go ahead and just hop right into our topic. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for taking some time to introduce yourself. Again, the topic is biblical illiteracy, and I've got your book that you sent me, The name of the book is The Word Explored, and uh, you have as a subtitle, The Problem of Biblical Illiteracy and What to Do About It. So my first question would be this. Could you just take a moment and define biblical illiteracy, or you could do the opposite and define biblical literacy, and then talk about the problem that you see in the church in America today and why you felt the need to write a book like this?
1: Yeah, yeah. Great question. Well, first, first some stats, right? Um, how large is this problem? We're talking about biblical illiteracy. Um, now, George Barna uh, has dedicated his life to the to studying um, the and researching the trends in the church. His uh, research is eye-opening about American Christianity. He says fewer than half of all adults can name the four gospels. Uh, mm-hmm. many, many Christians cannot even identify two or three of the disciples. Sixty percent of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. Uh, several further surveys believe 82% believe that God helps those who help themselves. Uh, 81% among born-again Christians believe that the Bible teaches the primary purpose in life is to take care of one's family. People, 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was in the Bible. Wow. Um, 50% of graduating seniors, high school seniors, believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Whew. Uh, So we got problems on creation, salvation, the Bible, marriage. I mean, it goes on and on, right? Uh, Biblical, defining our terms, uh, biblical illiteracy has to do with not knowing even the most basic uh, facts about the Bible. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. knowing every detail. We're not talking about knowing every detail, every jot and tittle uh, about the Bible. Biblical literacy uh, has to do with knowing the basics of the Bible, such as you know key facts, ideas, and even stories so that's that 's pretty important uh the The other part of this question where do we you know get this problem i I think the as i 've thought about this quite a bit um where well how do we get here? Um, I think the reason it goes back to the seeker sensitive movement that started in the seventies to the nineties it 's continuing to go on today that was a good movement, and I say a good movement because it had a good emphasis in that it wanted to reach lost people you know luke nineteen ten says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost that's that 's a good thing, so we should be preaching the gospel to the lost and you know uh, unfortunately, it had many ramifications and you know it also had devastating consequences and much of the pragmatism of our day can be traced back to that, but uh, you know the problem became that so many people in that seeker-sensitive movement they they were they were getting saved in churches with this approach to ministry, but they weren't being discipled. and so people left the church because they didn't know why they believe what they believed and why it mattered, uh, and so you know people left the church. Then the emerging church happened in the '90s, and uh, in response to the seeker-sensitive movement. You know, that conversation it started as discipleship, but it quickly you know, imploded because they uh, you know, guys like Brian McLaren and, and many others, uh, Brian McLaren specifically said, uh let's put a five-year moratorium on the conversation about homosexuality. Of course, he took Steve Chalk's view, and then um, you know, Steve Chalk was is a is a British pastor and uh he popularized Steve Chalk's view about cosmic uh, child uh, penal substitutionary atonement is uh, cosmic child abuse. Um, so this mm-hmm. problem with this emerging church movement was that it, it, it was a conversation that quickly became divorced from God's word as they mm-hmm. had denied essential doctrines that define and give shape to biblical op- orthodoxy. So you might wonder why do I bring up those two examples? Well, it, I bring them up because of what they show. You know, a desire to reach people in evangelism and to disciple each other. Those are two biblical ideas that are absolutely critical to the mission of the church. Well, the problem is, is that the seeker-sensitive movement focused on evangelism apart from discipleship, and the emerging church divorced itself from biblical Christianity. So as we mm-hmm. draw this together about biblical literacy, what we see is that far too often in the church, we swing from one theological trend to another rather than grounding our lives and our ministries in God's word. And God's word is absolutely the fountain for the Christian, head, for the Christian life. God uses his word in the life of the Christian, you know, to teach them the truth because God, the Holy Spirit, indwells the Christian and empowers them to make disciples who make disciples from the word. Uh, you you asked mm-hmm. one other you asked one other question about the book. So maybe I could just say a little bit about the approach of the book. Yeah. Um, so there's there's really three things that God loves, and that He loves His Word, He loves His Church, and He loves His people. You know, mm-hmm. we know that Jesus bled and died for you know the people of God, those who uh, can repent and believe in in Christ, and the Church is the only. Uh, The church, we, we, there's a hashtag on Twitter, you know, uh, the church is essential. Uh, The church is the only absolutely essential institution because it's the only institution that Jesus bled and died for and rose for. Uh, That's Ephesians 5, you know, and God delights over his word, um, all 66 books that constitute the the word of God. And so these three things, what they do is if we understand that catech, these three things that God loves, then what we come to understand is that. We, we, we don't need to have a checklist approach to uh, spiritual growth and, and to reading the Bible. It, it takes us well past the objection of that daily Bible reading is legalism, right? Um, right. It, and it shows us that um, God delights in these things and we should delight in them because as Christians, we're, you know, indwelt by the spirit and God. We'll talk about this here in a minute, but. You know that these are this God takes His word into our lives, and He He's seeking to teach us and to carry it further into our lives, so that you know we'll be um, we'll we'll be growing character, godly character, and then we'll be useful servants of Christ, you know, for His glory. So, yeah, that's um, great. I, thank, thank you.
0: Great answer. Um, you're you're <laughs> right. I like what you said. That you know the the pendulum it, it just. We overcompensate. We go from one, you know, and then overswing to the other. And so I like how you, you know, kind of used as a description, as an example of that, a case study The, you know, the seeker-sensitive church and then swinging over over, overcompensating to the emergent church and uh, you know we we give way to all these things um, uh, programs pragmatism strategies you know schemes plots all these kinds of things um, because I think part of it is because we don't actually believe uh, not just in the inerrancy of God's word the authority of God's word uh, but really, we don't believe in the sufficiency of God's word. We don't think it's enough. Uh, we don't think that uh, faithful, expository preaching of the word of God will actually do what God says uh, it'll do. We, we don't believe that if we're faithful to uh, to send out God's word, uh, that that we don't trust his promise when he says it will not return uh, void. And so and so we try to do things in our own strength and our own devices. Um, real quick about the seeker sensitive movement. I'm just curious, who would you say is kind of. For lack of a better phrase, the head of the snake. I always think of uh, Robert Shuler as um, somebody who comes to mind. But you said it, it started kind of in the seventies. Uh, wh- who do you? Who are some of the people that you would attribute to
1: as the the founders <laughs> of the fathers of the secret sensitive movement? Yeah, I, I think of Bill Hybels. Uh, uh, yeah, as yeah. One, yeah, one example. Uh, I wasn't alive at that time, so um, you know, I was born in the in the very first part of in eighty one. And so I wasn't alive in the 70s. But I I think of Bill Hybels and, you know, Willow Creek and those kind of things. And and it's interesting as we even bring that up. I mean, even they did this false discipleship study in their church. And what they concluded was, uh, yeah, the seeker sensitive movement was essentially a failure by their own admission. And they hadn't discipled the people in their church you know and and that's you know that's we we have huge problems i know you've talked about you know deconversion and and dechurched in this and and this is this goes right to those to the heart of those you know kind of issues you know where yeah. if, if you're not going to disciple people with the word you know and and trust the spirit like you were saying to do what the spirit does then well you're you're always going to be going after some attractional ministry some pragmatic approach uh, to kind of compensate you're always going to try to have some sort of light show or or whatever it is to you know have attract people um yeah, and you know that's always the wrong thing and I, the second half in fact chapters 5 and 6 I, I'm arguing I'm I'm telling I'm encouraging pastors even to ground their ministries follow the example of Calvin you know he he mm-hmm. left Geneva he came back and he preached that same text do that You know, pastor, do that. Ground your ministry. And biblical counselor, do that same thing. Uh, If you're a writer, Mm -hmm. do that same thing. If you're a podcast, do that same thing. Whatever it is that you do, ground your ministry, ground your life, ground it in Scripture. Trust the Scripture. Amen. Um, Another thing that I I
0: couldn't help but think as you were uh, just talking about the the problem of biblical illiteracy and how we maybe got off the rails with, you know, the secret sensitive movement, the emergent church. Um, I, I would argue that some of that even, you know, some of the roots of that could be tracked back all the way back to the, the second great awakening. And I, I put great awakening in terms of the second in quotation marks, because um, I, yep. I don't really think that it was uh, the <laughs> genuine. It didn't have the marks of a genuine revival, like, um, like the first great awakening. It was no, um, George Whitfield, it was, you know, there was the, that, it just, that wasn't the case and um, yep. and that's where I think you start to see, like, a lot of things, like, that's where you know, the modern uh, concept of an altar call came from. They called it the anxious, I, anxious bench, you know, that they would put on the front row and I'm preaching to you yep. now and it was this big emphasis on rhetoric and, um, and pathos and passions and, uh, style, you know, and, and even that we could track back even further to, uh, Rome Mm. and the Catholic church where there was, you know, Mm. the, the word, the pulpit is off to the side. The center is, is the table, uh, the Lord's supper, which is paramount. Um, but we would say the, it's the preaching of the word that, uh, that takes the center of the stage. And uh, maybe you can, uh, Uh, Confirm this. I think it was uh, Martin Lloyd Jones uh, who who took the pulpit in his church and nailed it to the to the stage in the center, uh, so that it couldn't be moved. So that you know that there was always going to be front Mm -hmm. and center. Uh, the word of God and, and, and Rome, the, you know, uh, Catholic priests were being trained, you know, in, um, a big part of their training was their hand motions and physical gestures, right? This massive emphasis on robes and tassels and show and, the way that, uh, the, the building was decorated. And, and even, you know, even the phrase that we have a uh, hocus pocus, you know, like a, this kind of wizardry, witchcraft, you know, spell kind of thing, hocus pocus that actually comes from, um, Latin, uh, a, a, a word that I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, but a phrase that, the, the The priest with uh, the Roman Catholic Church would say over the lord 's Supper that was supposed to you know be the the official blessing that would cause the the, the elements to trans uh, you know transubstantiation to turn into the literal body of Christ and the literal um, blood of Christ, which we as Protestants would reject and, but there was this phrase that the priest would use, and the people that 's where we get hocus pocus from the the people viewed it as as like almost like they were going to to be entertained it was a magic show it wasn't about uh the word exposited because most of the people didn't even speak latin you know it wasn't even in their language so it wasn't expositing the word so that people mm-hmm. can get the sense i think of like nehemiah you know um and Ezra, you know like uh, that you know they, they uh, preach the law of God uh, so that uh, the people would get the sense um, and you're doing it in a whole nother language that, that most of the common people uh, don't even speak, and you're emphasizing and putting more of your focus on hand gestures and and what color you know tassels you have on your robe that day and and the people are walking out and talking about hocus pocus they're not talking about Christ and him crucified, and so you know so we, we have this kind of this modern more recent um, epidemic in, in the American church today of biblical literacy that you, you kind of uh, tracked back to the 70s. But, it, you know, we could we could track it back in America to, the, you know, the Second Great Awakening and then we could track it back globally, um, you know, even further than that. And I would I would definitely um, I would definitely yeah. point the finger at uh, Roman Catholicism for for much of that. So well, without further ado, let, let's go ahead and, and dive Amen. into some of the content. Of your, your, I just book. want to say, I just want to say amen to that, man. That was yeah. great. That was awesome. Anytime, yeah, anytime we yeah, point the right. finger at Rome, you know, you got to get a Protestant to say amen. <laughs> amen. No, I mean, amen to all you said. I mean,
1: it's, that's awesome. Uh,
0: thanks. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. I appreciate it. So, uh, so hopping into one of the chapters of your book that uh, I, I thought was, uh, r- really interesting. I told you before we recorded, it, I haven't read the book in its entirety yet, but one of the things that caught my eye was, uh, memorizing and meditating on, the word, and uh, I think that's so important i'm always encouraging my congregation and and um, the members of my previous congregation when I was a pastor uh, in in california for for several years I always tried to emphasize meditating on the word. I think of Psalm 1, on your law, I meditate day and night. And, and previously, the, the verse prior, what David says is, I delight in the law of God. So it's not just this begrudging, obligatory thing that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm meditating day and night. I force myself to think about your word. It's not because I love your word. I love your law. Um, I'm thinking about it, meditating on it. But what I'm always encouraging Christians to do as a pastor is um, not just memorizing. So I like how you've you know you got to memorize. It's got to be in your brain to meditate on it. You can't think about something that, that's not in your mind to begin with. So the, the tactic of um, the discipline of memorizing the word, committing it to memory, but then to meditate on the word um, is, is to go a step further. And I think there's a lot of Christians who, um, well, we're struggling just to just to get up in the morning you know, and read the word. But we need to read the word. Daily, uh, and then we, we need to commit to memory the word, but then we need to go a step further. Like Psalm 1, the blessed man who delights in the law of God, he meditates on the word. And to meditate upon the word, in my assessment, at Christian meditation, if there were such a thing, and I would argue there is, Christian meditation is the opposite of Eastern or mantra meditation, where we seek to empty the mind of all rational thought. But Christian meditation fills the mind and feasts the mind, even we could say, on uh, a on, on substance, namely the Word of God. And so you're not just reading the Word or memorizing the Word, but you're actually beginning to chew and digest and turn over and think about the, the Word of God. And, and I can't help but think you're thinking about the implications and applications of God's Word. And I noticed the very next chapter in your book was talking about applying the Word. So I, I want to give you a moment, and just talk about memorizing and meditation and applying the Word of yeah. God.
1: No, amen to what you said. I mean, you, you could just uh, take the show. <laughs> take the no, floor, no, brother. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, so uh, I think of like memorizing and meditating like an ATM, you go to the ATM and you deposit money in the in the account. And then when you want to take it out, you, you know, enter your pen and you take that out. Uh, scripture memory is exactly the same thing. You got to put scripture in to get scripture out. You know, Jesus says in um, Luke 645 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you have to input the scripture and the spirit takes the word. And so we're inputting scripture into our minds so scripture can come out. I, I'm even reminded just talking about that off the top of my head here about uh, what Charles Spurgeon said at John Bunyan. If you cut him, you, mm. he'll bleed, but And that's what we're kind of talking yeah. about. We're inputting scripture so that, you know, when we're faced with a temptation, when we're faced with whatever, um, you know, even a season of prosperity, we should be quoting our scripture to ourselves, preaching the gospel uh, to ourselves uh, and, and those from the word, uh, not just preaching the gospel, but preaching the gospel from the word. Just, I always mm-hmm. have that a very important thing because, you know, we can, get into a false pre-preaching the wrong gospel to ourselves, and then we don't have any hope. And we know that the the gospel is in the word. So just Mm -hmm. kind of spelling that out. But, you know, we even see, you know, Jesus memorizing scripture, you know, in Matthew 4, uh, 1 through 11, you know, uh, in his encounter uh, with Satan there in the wilderness, and he quoted it accurately. You know, even Satan was misquoting scripture. Uh, so, mm. as Christians, we ought to memorize scripture so that it's available uh, for the Holy Spirit to use in our lives um, in the midst of uh, prosperity, seasons of, you know, that things seem to be going well. That's what I mean by prosperity. And th- uh, when seasons are hard, you know, or when you're facing temptation or a challenge. Um, one of the best reasons for memorizing the scripture is that it fuels biblical meditation, which you'd so beautifully uh, just talked about. Thank you. And, and when we memorize, you know, a verse of scripture, we can meditate on it any day, anytime. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. So biblical meditation, it it invites, uh, Christians into the, into the world of God and his word. That's where real refreshment and joy begins. And the more we engage in biblical meditation, the more we'll see the word giving off its heat, uh, to us, illuminating its truth to us through the spirit whose word provides insight and understanding, resulting in a passion. Uh, you know, for our obedience to God by his grace. So like you just said so well, biblical meditation isn't where we empty our minds or anything like that. It's where we fill our minds with God's right. truth and where our hearts and minds are inflamed with a passion for God. So that's great. Yeah,
0: I, I love that. So going, so now kind of to the, the next step. So it's that like we've got to read the word, we've got to memorize the word, we've got to meditate upon the word. Um, and then we need to apply the word. And I think that kind of brings us back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, talking about where uh, the church in America kind of got off the rails uh, with, you know, the, the devices of man um, being emphasized over um, the clear prescription um, of God in his word, you know, getting um, away from the regular principle of worship, away from um, sticking to the script. And and I think, I think part of that, you know, and then eventually what happens is it's, um, it's, it's almost like there's a pattern. It's almost like an equation or a formula, a progression of, of denial of Scripture that uh, it begins with, I, I think, you know, um, a, a lack of an unbelief in the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. So that, I mean, that's really what you have with the seeker friendly movement and the emergent church. Uh, the Scripture's not sufficient, or at least that's what you have with the seeker friendly movement. This, the, the Scripture's not sufficient for what? For our main goal of seeking uh, the lost. The scripture can't do that. And so we've got to do something else. We've got to add something. We've got to emphasize something over here and 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 maybe take some of our focus away from the word. And then but then what happens is you first. And you may not even call it this, but but it is in practice. You can tell by your actions and how much emphasis you're giving to programs and how much emphasis you're giving to um, to style and these other things that are not word centric. Um, in your actions, you can tell this person, this this group, this ministry, this pastor does not believe in the sufficiency of God's word. And then, lo and behold, give them a few years, maybe a decade. Um, and all of a sudden he starts to deny the inerrancy of God's word. So it's, it's like, it's, you know, it starts with a lack of, of belief in the sufficiency of the word. And then there's this kind of this lack of belief in the inerrancy, the infallibility, the authority, the perfection, the beauty of God's word. And so, um, so all that said, you know, we want to be Christians who, um, don't merely salute the inerrancy of scripture. Um, but in our lives, in our actions, in our practice, we, um, we exemplify our belief in not only the inerrancy, but also the sufficiency of scripture, which gets to application. How do we, if we believe the word is not just true, but that it's enough, that it's, that it's sufficient, we're going to be constantly looking for ways in every realm of human society, in every area of our life um, to apply the word of God. And so could you, could you speak to that application for a moment?
1: Yeah, well, I just want to say amen to that. And what you're saying is so important because you know what what is often misunderstood today about the sufficiency of Scripture is we think oh it's for some part of your of your life or some part of your ministry. <laughs> no, no, no. The sufficiency of Scripture is for every part of our life, for every phase right. of our life. It's it's for you know our life and godliness, and uh, that's that means it's for every everything in our in our lives. You know, and uh, what you said is so good. Um, but to the question, you know, application—and um, here's a dirty word in American evangelicalism—I use dirty like this, uh, in air quotes, because it really shouldn't. But it's a matter of obedience to God. Um, you know, we we need to understand. That the Holy Spirit desires to carry forth the word you, you hear and study and memorize and meditate and apply. And, and, and just one other thing, the, one of the things with the approach of the book is not just to – and you hit it so well earlier is, – is not just how. This isn't really so much of a how book. There's tons of those out there. This is more of a why book. Why do I read? Why do I memorize? Why do I meditate? Why do I study? Why do I apply? Why do I do the life? So I'm getting at the motivations. Um, So and I think that's important uh, when we're talking about application um, for the things that you said. But uh, in James uh, 122 through 25, do you mind if I read that? Now we know that very basically that the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of the Christian to help them see and to know Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this in John 14, 26. He says, But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. In John 16, 7 through 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Uh, for I do, if I do not go away, the helper will come will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and where he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, so, according to our text james one twenty two we might know the truth powerfully and personally, it can be plain as day as you might see yourself in the mirror uh, as you 're getting ready in the morning but but James says if if the word's not being driven down deep into the soil bed of your heart, you, uh, we're like a man who looks in a mirror and then forgets immediately what we saw. Uh, when we do mm. that, we go away thinking, ah, I'm good. I, I might even sing the song, It Is Well With My Soul. But mm. the truth is we've missed how the word of God has eminent practical value for our lives. You know, James mm. is saying that believing the right things, it should lead to practice. You know, faith should lead to yeah. actions those who are generally wise are those who show it through evidence, uh, to those who know the right things and, and don't do them. It's sin. James 1, uh, James 4, 17 says. So in back to James 1, 12, uh, 23 through 24, he, he develops this in a meaningful and a powerful, um, way. He's, he's not saying, oh, just look at the word and then look away. Keep looking at the word let it show you your, your faults, um, that, that it shows you, and James one twenty four says, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he's like. That doesn't make sense to us, but that's what James is saying. He's saying when we look in the mirror of God's word, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and brings it to bear in our lives. He brings conviction, mm-hmm. and that should results. Uh, it results, excuse me, in conviction and confession of sin and that's a that's a good thing for us um we're so distracted today you know we have a twenty four seven news cycle that's coming at us it's it, it uh, I mentioned what Jesus says about you know out of the abundance the heart the mouth speaks uh we're- we're being discipled we're inputting that kind of we're being discipled by our culture right they're mm-hmm. telling us this is what it means to be an american citizen and so, so much more and they're discipling us about uh carl fh henry was a 20th century um american theologian and uh, he was absolutely brilliant he not only talked about what a biblical worldview is but he called it a biblical life view so it's not only mm-hmm. what shapes us it's how we see the world and that's what the scripture is to do It's to ground our lives so that we have a biblical uh, worldview so that then we can see the world you know through the lens of scripture mm-hmm. you know and that's what we need we need to input scripture into our minds and into our hearts that's, that's what the right. spirit wants to do and 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 you might be watching or listening to this and you wonder uh well i'm i'm i feel dry inside well the reason that you feel so dry inside and it seems like you're not making any progress is you gotta get back to the word you gotta open mm-hmm. that word and you gotta read the word and study the word and start at five to ten minutes a day that's that's when i'm you know, talking about, um, you know, but back to the application aspect. Uh, sorry, I got a little off. Earlier. No, 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 that's, good. You know, you that's know, good. What do you let, what do you, what do you say? What do you tell a, uh, you know, a preacher? Hey, go preach. Uh, you know, you know, he'll, he'll preach. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So in, in
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see that in YouTube, brother, in, you know, in, mm. you know, in meditating on the word, your heart is warmed and purified by the grace of God. You know, it feels us like a car at a gas station, encouraging us into passionate action for the glory of God. Uh, In Psalm 119.15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You know, King David says he discerned through biblical meditation the ways of God and how to be a a doer of the word. So as you meditate on the word, ask those questions of the biblical text, you know, because you believe the word. And the more questions you ask and you answer about a verse, you're going to gain more understanding and at heart level understanding about how it applies to your life, the life of Right. others and, and as you do this you're going to be see that the, the bible is not just a it's not just a book uh, you know as if it was a book of fairy tales and myths but it's got a gift to help you see the connection between the scriptures our world and the lives of others and then you'll start to see what john stott wrote about in in between two worlds uh, that that great book on preaching or what augustine of hippo talked about in the city of god understanding that the kingdom of god is both here in the now and yet also in in the future you know and and the kingdom is here now, because of the finished and sufficient work of Christ, you know, and through mm-hmm. local churches, God is building his his kingdom through his people, and yet in the the kingdom is yet future where he'll glorify the precious- possession of his bride, the apple of his eye, you know his mm-hmm. people, and then they'll be you know entirely clothed and like jesus so amen yeah i I can't help but think when it comes to
0: application of the Word of God and the sufficiency of the Word of god and and meditating you know ma you know making the the tree go down deep, right? I think that the blessed man, again, Psalm chapter one, you know, blessed is the man who, you know, delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree rooted by streams of water. Um, and, and I love how it says it bears fruit in season. It's leaves are always green, right? So it's kind of like an evergreen tree. So it's never, it's never lifeless. It's never, uh, dying. It's never even threatened, um, or, or close to death. So it's always vibrant, um, verdant, um, healthy, alive, green, filled with life, uh, but then it says, you know, it's 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 by streams of water, meaning that it's not dependent um, of, on on uh, precipitation, on on the rainfall. Right? If it's not raining, there's a stream nearby, and I can't help but think, you know, the stream is. The word of God. And so the tree, the blessed man, he's like a tree. Um, and he's not just gleaning life, spiritual life, from his leaves and branches. Um, that he's drinking from the root. Uh, it's it's not just um the, the water that uh and in the rain and then the weather that may be there and then may not be there, but the stream that's constant, that's always present. Um, and he's drinking deep, uh, deep down his roots. He's planted um, by the stream, by this water, and his leaves are always green. So he's he's not on dry. He's not on the verge of death. And yet, you know, the text goes on and says, and, and he bears his his fruit in season, meaning that even a, a spiritually mature, healthy christian who's planted daily by streams of water in the word uh reading the word memorizing the word meditating on the word and seeking to obey be a doer of the word i love that you shared the text in james he's applying the word um even in his obedience there are seasons of fruitfulness so a healthy tree doesn't bear fruit 365 days a year and that doesn't mean that that, you know when it's out of season that it's dead uh, no, it could still be uh, vibrant and lively, but but even good trees, healthy trees, um, bear fruit in season. And so, you know, so all of that. So we want to be healthy trees. We want to be the blessed man who's delighting in the law of God, meditating on the law of God, applying the law of God, uh, living it out. And I can't help but think at, at times that um, you know some of it. I think comes from this this notion that I I I, I think it's appropriate to use this word. I hate this notion. I really do hate it in the biblical sense, um, and I think by, by god 's grace uh, hopefully it 's a righteous indignation, and a righteous hatred, but uh, Jesus is Lord of my heart. I hate that mm. um, no jesus is he 's just, he's just <laughs> King Jesus is just not content with with the the sovereign domain and boundaries of your precious little heart. Uh, Jesus, he's Lord of all. And I think part of the problem is we've somehow taken this massive collection of 66 books, uh, you know, a couple thousand pages, depending on what translation you have and size print, but it's a large book, this Bible that we have, and we've relegated it. We've quarantined the, the, mm-hmm. the relevancy of Scripture to Come the on, brother. and the church. Right. So the Bible has a lot to say about your marriage and it's got a lot to say about your parenting. So we're going to do conferences on marriage and parenting every every two weeks, it seems like, you know, and it's got a lot to say about your church, you know, and, and, you know, for all those guys who are in ministry and aspiring towards ministry and want to multiply churches, planting churches and all that. You know, the Bible's got a lot to say about that. Uh, But but that's it you know and, and so jesus is lord of my heart and he might even extend in his lordship to my home and 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 he's lord of the church because you know ephesians 5 like you quoted earlier you know christ is uh, the head of the church but i can't wait for someone to get in there and say you know what christ is head of the church but according to other texts in ephesians and colossians uh wouldn't you know it christ is actually lord of all he's actually head of all uh that christ actually um you know we're, we're fond of saying you know christ uh, not Caesar is is head of the church. Well, actually, Christ and not Caesar is also head of the state. Uh, mm. According to Romans thirteen, the state, the mm-hmm. civil magistrate, is God's deacon. He works for God, uh, and and it falls under Christ's lordship, His domain, His jurisdiction. And and so I think part of the reason why we don't apply the scripture uh, in every realm of life. Um, is because Mm. we actually, in our heart of hearts, we've been taught by pastors and Christian leaders Mm. that the Bible wasn't written to every Mm. realm of life. It was written to Mm. your heart, it was written Mm. to your home, and it was written to your church. But we, we pretend as though the Bible has nothing to say about the civil realm, or about the marketplace, or about vocation, or about all these other, you know, like, Fran- I think of Francis Schaeffer, I like him, his seven mountains, and uh, we think that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about these things, and I think the reason why is it, it's all tied intrinsically to uh, Jesus' lordship, and the last thing I'll say is, I remember R.C. Sproul telling a story one time in one of his teachings, where he said um, that he was meeting with an old friend, they had gone to seminary together, and, uh, and this old friend, uh, he was so grieved. They had dinner together and we're catching up. The guy was in town visiting and he said, you know, I don't believe, um, in the inerrancy of scripture anymore. I just got to come clean. I got to tell you, RC, I know that you're big on inerrancy and I know it's going to disappoint you. Uh, I don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I don't believe that the Bible is the infallible authoritative word of God. Uh, but don't worry, RC, uh, you'll be pleased to hear this. Um, I still believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Lord. There's one thing I'll never let go of. Jesus is Lord. And R.C., you know, without skipping a beat, his brilliant mind and his charming uh, demeanor, he he responded and said, well, can I ask you, friend, if Jesus is Lord, uh, how is it that he exercises his lordship in your life? What is the agency of his lordship? And the answer is the Bible. And so I think my point is, when we limit the relevancy of scripture and we say scripture doesn't really speak to blank, this area or that. What we're actually doing is we're, we're relegating, we're confining, quarantine the lordship of Jesus because the mm. scripture is the agency of Christ's lordship. That that's mm-hmm. the, the big issue. So it's uh, Christ's lordship. How far does it go? Right, like Simba Mephasis <laughs> standing, you know, on, on Pride Pride Rock, you know. And what what about that dark shadowy place? There is no dark shadowy place when when Christ yeah. is standing here. He's like all of it. It's all yeah. mine. And and yeah. as, well, and how? What is the agency that you extend your dominion? That you speak and exercise your lordship over all these things? My word, my word claims it all, speaks to it all. It's relevant to it all. It applies to it all. And oh, if we could get Christians to stop saying, and more importantly, to stop believing Jesus yeah. is the Lord of my precious little heart. Um, no, Jesus is Lord of all. And because he's Lord of all, his word speaks to all. <laughs> what what would, you, would you agree
1: with <laughs> yeah. that? No, brother, I, I agree. And, and just kind of taking your point in, other, in, in another kind of in, the, in a similar vein, you know, with the, we we have a big problem today in the church because we're telling pastors and seminarians to care about only mostly about your, your witness. And our witness right. is important. But where does the Bible start? <laughs> We've forgotten that, like you, to your point, it starts with our character. And then, mm. you know, our witness, our character and our witness are not you know, I'm not separating them they're they're held in tension in the bible and and just to the point it, you have we have to have mature if we want mature disciples in our church we have to teach them how to be get in the word to to feed on the word to to delight in the word and and uh then they'll be every, i I think every christian because they're indwelled by the spirit if they're born again uh, they desire to be useful to Christ but we have mm-hmm. to stop talking first about our witness and first about our character, and then we can help them to be useful because they'll be godly. You know, our right. godliness in the Bible, is, it's the fuel for our usefulness in ministry. And that's just another example to your point about, you know, we have problems with the lordship of Christ, you know. And, and I resonate with you when uh, like Abraham, you, you basically essentially quoted Abraham Kuyper. Yeah. <laughs> There's not one one square right. inch. Where I God would will, say yeah. mine, 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 right. you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, if I can go here just a minute uh, go for, for, it. for a lot, for a minute to your point about the state, you know, today we saw that ba- Biden said that, you know, uh, he, he's he said that, oh, well, you know, the CDC came out and said that the, they could, um, you know, we could do, you know, if you're vaccinated or whatever, and who right. ca- I don't care what you think about that. Okay. That's right. not the point, but uh, you, you don't have to wear a mask. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's back up here. Uh, that, that he says that's the rule, but let's back up here. How do, how do you have you first off? The that's president right. doesn't have the right to make any rule, any law, period. That's right. Under the constitution. Right. Uh, the, you cited Romans 13. The law, that's the law of the land. That's what we have to obey. They've never mm. passed any law through the law of the land, through the Congress and the Senate. So he has no basis on which he can make that statement. Okay, as a as a private citizen, you know, I'm not right. excusing, giving, saying he doesn't have the freedom of speech like I do. But the problem right. is, is they think they have uh, freedom of speech without accountability. Right. You know, and that's what we're being told today is, you just say whatever you want to say. They can say whatever they want to say. You know, the, the left and the socialists and the Marxists mm-hmm. and all that say whatever you want to say. Uh, And when we say, oh, it's the most loving thing, you're a matter of loving God. If you wear your mask and you get vaccinated and it just, how do I say this delicately? It does something to me. It it does something. It does something to me. It raises my, it makes me want to, you know, get a, get a brown bag and, and, you know, uh, you know, that's yeah, frustrating. Barf, yeah, barf, barf, in, in, barf in the barf you. in the barf brown bag. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. viper like
0: every time. You know, my wife, God bless her. You know, she she really um, she she has grown so much in her fear of God, which ultimately that's that's the antidote for the fear of man. You know, some some people yeah. you might be listening to this and saying, man, it's just so hard to take a stand because. I'm, I'm afraid. What will people think? What will people say? You know, and, and the fear of man, the, the only antidote to the fear of man is um, to fear something or in this case, someone um, even more. Uh, so it's not to stop caring about what because some people say. You know, they, they, they you know, what, what our pagan culture, you know, self-help kind of culture would uh, would posit as the solution, the antidote to the fear of man is the fear of you. Right. Uh, that you would you would have a greater fear, right, a greater sense of of esteem and, and care more about what you think about you. Than what others think about you. And so how do you get over the opinions of others so that you're not a slave to people pleasing and the opinions of man? Uh, well, you need to care more about what, you know, at the end of the day, what really matters is what you think of you. Well, that doesn't work, right? Um, b- b- because you are just not, you're just not important enough. And you know that deep down inside, you know that you are not significant enough, wise enough, smart enough, valuable enough to outweigh the opinions of, you know, 7.8 billion other people on the planet. Uh, there's only one being in the universe that if you put him on the scale next to the entire world population, he outweighs them all by a landslide. And that's the Lord. And so we, we get rid of this, you know, fear of man by ultimately fearing God. And I think part of the reason why we have Christians today, and even pastors sadly, bowing the knee to the fear of man is because they don't fear God, because they never preach the fear of God. They preach the love of God. But one of my concerns is that the love of God has been lost on a generation that has not been taught the fear of God. And so we need to fear God. Uh, and my wife, God bless her. She's grown in that immensely to where she fears God more than man. And so she'll join me in what I was going to say, which is we'll step into H-E-B. you know, We'll step into a restaurant or whatever. And we don't wear the mask, you know, and we're coming from California. And so we're in Texas. So we feel like we're, you know, we're we're splashing in the shallow end, you know, uh, after being in California, it's, it's a lot easier here. Our governor, Greg Abbott, God bless him. You know, he repealed, you know, rescinded uh, mask orders and things like that. But my point is, you know, we'll go into HEB, and there'll be a couple hundred people in in those you know super sized HEBs that we have here in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, including the people. <laughs> you know, and so, and so we'll go in HEB and pass by a couple hundred people while we're grocery shopping, and we'll be the only people that we see in the store without a mask. You know, and uh, and it's but it, it's to your point that you know just Christians. It's it's back to that witness character thing that you mentioned. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's like, well, I, I want to be a good witness. I want to be a good witness. And yeah, but w- like w- witness for who? Witness for what? Like what's the message, right? Like when you say a good witness, the, the the witness is not so much the person as it is the message that they're witnessing to. What are you witnessing to? Not just who are you witnessing to um, in, in terms of who, who are you trying to um, to, to exemplify Christ too, preach Christ too. Um, but what Christ, which Christ are you trying to preach? Are you trying to exemplify? Are you trying to live out? And, and so, you know, Christians, I, I always think, you know, I always say like, we don't want to throw any unnecessary punches, but we also don't want to pull any punches either. And so if a Christian says, Hey, I'm not going to do this because, not because I'm being rebellious, uh, but I don't want to do this because it's not lawful. And, and, and this is, you know, it's not even a law period. And even if it was, it's not a lawful law. And even within the law of the land and the civil magistrate, uh, you know, you read Romans 13 and I always just kind of want to like, you know, grab Christians by the collar and shake them up and remind them, okay, you know, Paul is writing to a context. um, uh, He's writing to subjects of a monarchy. Uh, But in God's incredible providence and grace, we're not subjects in a monarchy. We are citizens of a democratic republic. And our highest civil magistrate is not a human by design, but rather a document. And it's not a living document that changes, you know, as as different people are appointed to the Supreme Court and find some kind of new interpretation. No, it's, it's, it's set. And, uh, and so ultimately, when a Christian resists, practices civil disobedience towards a president or a governor or, or whatever it may be, if that governor or president is not in line with the Constitution, then ultimately what what the Christian is doing is submitting to the higher civil magistrate, namely the Constitution, uh, by rebelling against a someone who is a rebellious civil magistrate, lesser civil magistrate, namely a president or a governor yeah. or a congress yeah. member and so, so it's just so, it's, so 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 I, since we're got to say yeah. we got to know the scripture yeah. we also need we also need to know the civil realm, I think Christians have been so uh, turned off by politics. And how often have you heard, you know, keep the politics out of the pulpit, keep the pol. And, and so it's like, we don't think the Bible speaks to this. And then we also just, we're bored with this. We don't like this. And so Christians said, man, we've got such, uh, just we're sitting on a treasure trove of, of the scripture and all that it says, especially in the civil realm right now. And man, if there was ever a time, 2020, 2021, and it's like, we're impotent. You, you know, it's like we, we're sitting on on, on this mountain of resources and and we think the scripture has nothing to say we think that Christ you know doesn't he's not really head of the state and doesn't care to be head of the state and doesn't you know and and I'm not speaking of a theocracy but I'm, I'm just saying like I want America to be Christian right and what I mean by that is is not like Israel Old Testament Israel one to one ratio but I I what are we doing in the Great Commission? We're trying to make disciples, disciple the nations. I want America to love Jesus. And if people in America love Jesus, some of those people are going to run for political office. And if they run for, then we're going to have Christian you know, legislators. And so then what should they re- legislate? Things that honor God's word. You know. And you can call that whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's nationalism, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm a, I'm a patriot. And so I, I want that kind of nation. So, yeah, anyways.
1: I mean, it, it, it's so, it's such a good point because, you know, if every square inch belongs to Christ, then every vocation belongs to Christ. Right. And we spend most of our lives doing that work, whatever that work is. And it has, um, you know, it has dignity and value. It benefits society. You know, people say today uh, Christians are anti-intellectual, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Christians started the first hospitals. That's right. Uh, we started the first education institutions and on and on we go. And Mm -hmm. just to just to your point, if if we're going to vote out Trump, just just to use that example, you know, uh, according to what we've said, Biden should be impeached. Now we know that he won't. But and that's that's a travesty. Uh, It really Mm -hmm. is. But we have to we have to be willing to stand up and we have to be willing to say as Christians, okay, what is Romans 13 actually said to our discussion here? It's talking about obeying the law of the land. And the law mm-hmm. of the land is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in America. Mm-hmm. It's not what the president, whatever the president and his executive order, uh, floating out in the wind says. It's it's just not. So we have yeah. to stand, or or some health mandate or whatever. Right. We have to stand up and know that we stand on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights.
0: Amen. And as a Christians, right.
1: we're not we're not we're not saying that the I'm not saying by extension that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution are on par with the Bible that no. would be heresy i'm no. saying but but we have the law of the land and the law of the land is the constitution of the bill of rights and we, we so we stand on you know we stand on the word of god you know mm-hmm. totally in every every area and every phase and so we we understand then that from scripture that when god says the the rule of the law is and by the way that defines our define it defines uh, how the how the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are supposed to um, even be, you know, exercised and executed right. in our country, which, I mean, that brings up a whole other topic about a well, whole host of, of – that al- issue
0: of the law yeah. being used lawfully. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Like you can have a, a right law but not, not execute it, not legislate lawfully. Uh, go ahead. And dude. they're not.
1: And, and, and right. they're not
0: just just to, right. you know, wrap that up. No, you're right. And I, I do want to say just as a disclaimer for anyone who's listening. So, you know, the Constitution being the highest, you know, the law of our land, the highest civil magistrate. Um, but I know I know that Dave and I w- would both agree um, that, you know, you might be thinking, well, what about Christians in China? You know, what about what if the law of the land is the, you know, um, one child policy or what? if uh, Well, then then you <laughs> well, then you supersede to the highest law of any land, which is the law of God. Um, and and that's that kind of my point back to the Lord Lordship of Christ, universal Lordship of Christ over all things that, um, you know, the Bible, I do believe that it calls us to obey the law of the land. But even then, it's to submit to, you know, um, human uh, officials and lesser civil magistrates and, all you know, rulers in the land. Um, but even then, um, only so so far as as um, as they are not forbidding us from doing something that God commands or, uh, or commanding us to do something that God forbids, you know, cause the, the law of the land, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, and Meshach and Abednego was to bow down that 90 foot tall idol statue to worship it when the trumpet and the mu- you know, mu- musical instruments begin to sound or in the case of Daniel, I mean, it was an official decree. It was signed by the signet ring of, of, uh, of, of the King and Daniel chapter six. And, uh, but Daniel continued to pray three times a day with his windows open to heaven, as was his custom. Um, because that law of the land was in contradiction to the highest law. And so we're just, we're just saying, Dave and I saying that even that the irony is that even in our, the human law of our lands, the highest law is, it's not Joe Biden. It's also not Trump. You know, it's, 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 the constitution and we're we're folding even on that so like at this point our allegiance to Christ doesn't even require us i keep thinking of hebrews 11 hebrews 11 right you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood you know like in america like it's i mean martyrdom in america is 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 kind of It's weak sauce right now. It seems to be ramping up, you know, and so I don't want to make light of it. I think, you know, persecution may be coming. But my point is right now, man, we've got it easy. We still have something that we can appeal to. Uh, in human courts and all these. And and, and I'm not saying we're going to win because things seem to be corrupt. But I, I'm saying even at a human level, uh, we still have. I think I personally feel like outside of Scripture, I think the Constitution of the United States of America is one of the best documents uh, ever written. And and so we still have a, a beautiful nation in terms of its foundation, in terms of its roots. And uh, we have a, a wonderful law that be, it's wonderful because it models the law of God. And we still have all these avenues of appeal and uh, all at that level. And even if we our law of the land was like communist China or something like that, and the highest, you know, civil magistrate was uh, some human official instead of a document that you know, led according to his own will and and fancy and whatever he wanted, and was completely oppressing people and doing things completely contrary to God's law. Um, even then, we would resist lawfully uh, because we would we would say, "Hey, um, th- this is contradicting the law of God." And and I always go back to Romans thirteen and think, you know. Like Paul, like he, he, what he's assuming in that text, because he says, would you have no fear of the one who rules over you? You know, the one who bears a sword and does not bear it for nothing. I like, would, you know, it's a frightening thing. You, you would you like to live your life fear free? You know, have no fear of the one who rules over you? Then do, and, and notice he says, then do what is good. And, and I think a lot of Christians these days are interpreting it as though Romans 13 said, then do what he says, right? Would you have no fear of the one who rules over you? Then do what he says. That's not what the text says. The text says, would you have no fear of the one who rules over you? Then do what is good. Okay, what, mm-hmm. what, what does Paul mean when he says good? Do that which is truly good, according to what standard? Thoughts. And so Paul is assuming, uh, and and Paul, you know, coming from a, a context where in many cases, you know, the, the human officials and civil magistrates were contradicting the word of God. But he's even saying in his context um, that if you follow, if you do that which is good, um, then in many cases um, it'll go well for you because even pagans and even God-hating civil magistrates um, can't help but borrow from the Christian worldview because it's the only thing that works, you know. Mm. Uh, and and when Christians, you know, I mean, what are the values and the virtues of of Christians? Like we're hardworking, we want to be honest and have integrity, we want to uh, love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and, and count others as more significant than ourselves. You know, you know what I mean. And so it's just. Uh, so so, even if you have a an unregenerate pagan god hating civil magistrate, even if that 's the case, uh, if you do what is good, not just what he thinks is good, the civil magistrate or what he says, but what God says is good, um, even in places like communist China, um, there are many times where things will go well for you, um, and then there are other times of course, where where you will be persecuted, and obedience to God will mean. Um, pain and suffering to yourself and uh, but even that is for your eternal good your eternal benefit and so Anyways, yeah. uh, all that being said, uh, any final thoughts on that? And then I got one more question for you before we close. Yeah,
1: one one last thought. You know, you mentioned R.C. Sproul, and he had that famous phrase, quorum Deo. And that uh, means, you know, before the face of God. And right. maybe you're watching this and you're wondering, okay, what does this have to do with me? How do I even face this in the midst of whatever? You need to understand that all of your life is before the face of God. He, he not right. only sees you, he knows you because of Christ. He, he comes after you. He seeks you. Uh, if you're a Christian, he knows your thoughts. Thoughts. He knows the length of your days he knows everything about you from the top of your head to the bottom of, of your of your toes and everything in between your cells, your DNA and everything that might be that's like a pretty scary thought, but actually it's the most comforting thing because this is your sovereign God he's the one who you know by the Holy Spirit he indwells you and he empowers you to this end you're not an animated christian of, of God you're a friend of God. And, and this shot should should steal your resolve that you are his and He is yours. so no right. matter what that they do to you, no matter if they come for your house or your job or whatever or your social media and shut you down, uh, <laughs> good. Uh, I still belong to God, no matter what. Right. Like I said at the mm-hmm. beginning, uh, if they come and take away uh, my laptop and my everything or my house or whatever, and uh, that great. Uh, semi to present. great. Uh, they can't kill me. They can kill me. But guess where that takes me? I go immediately in mm-hmm. the presence of God because I belong to right. Christ. And right. and so let that thought actually, as we close, put a wrap on this conversation, let that thought actually encourage your heart right now and, and steal your resolve to uh, stand up to speak without being afraid and without being unashamed of, of Christ uh, who has, you know, won the, won the day, won your heart. He's going to win the last day, um, and Amen. you know Satan's a liar, and Christ will triumph. So,
0: Amen. Yeah, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Um, what can man, you know, after man who can kill you, but then can do no more to you? But you know, do not fear man who after you know destroying the body can do nothing else, but rather fear God who has the power to destroy both the body, uh, but then also the soul and hell. God, God is really the only person in the universe worthy of our fear. And, um, and, and that's, you know, again, that, that fear is a, for the Christian, it's not a fear of judgment. I always say it like the, the pagan should fear God, um, Mm. um, and, and fear his judgment. But ironically, that's one of the signs of somebody who is unregenerate is that they typically don't, they, they have, there is no fear of God before their eyes, Romans chapter three. And so, um, the non-Christian is the one who should, in objective terms, fear God's judgment. Uh, the Christian uh, no longer has a fear of judgment, for judgment has to do with punishment. We've been delivered from that. Christ has set us free from that fear of death and fear of judgment. Uh, Hebrews speaks of, but we should always, even in heaven for eternity, fear God. Uh, there's a difference in fearing God's judgment versus fearing God himself. And so we have a reverence and awe for God um, as the creator in heaven of earth. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we just I think we have a lot of Christians who are are living, all of us, and we all f- fall prey to this, including myself at times, but um, we often act as though man, we attribute far more esteem and far more power and importance and significance to, to people than, than we really should. Um, and I think part of it is because people really can kill us in this life. Jesus says that man can kill you, but after that can do no more. And I think part of this we just value our own lives too much. you know. And, uh, but Jesus said, if you're not willing to lose your life for my sake, uh, then you'll never really find it. And so I think uh, getting rid of the idolatry of our ourselves and our own life, this life, here and now, and um, and seeing Christ and His Lordship and the application of Scripture um, to all things and fearing God more than fearing man, uh, those, those are the kinds of things that I think the church needs in this hour. So. That said, I, I, you know, that would be my answer to the question I was about to ask. But let's hear your answer and may, maybe you'll echo that. But my, my last question is just uh, what do you think at, at a pastoral level, you know, for myself, I'm a local pastor. I've got a lot of pastor friends. What's something that pastors can do for their congregations and their preaching and their discipleship and shepherding ministry um, to, to help alleviate the problem of biblical illiteracy?
1: Yeah, there's there's six things I have. I'll just run through them, and then if you want me to elaborate on any of those, I will, okay? So good? Okay. Uh, so yeah. first thing, provide opportunities for small groups centered on the Word, prayer, and fellowship. Second, uh, provide opportunities and a time for people to ask questions, and encourage people in your local church to ask questions. Third, preach expository sermons where the point of the sermon is the point of the text, and point people responsibility from that text to Jesus Fourth, encourage biblical counseling and training your local church and get people that are you know interested in that certified through the Association of Biblical Counselors, also known as ACBC. Uh, fifth, yeah. encourage personal daily Bible reading. Provide classes on the importance of personal daily Bible reading, study, meditation, memorizing uh, scripture application. Provide classes and teaching on the importance of doing life with one another and how to listen to a sermon. Uh, six, and lastly, encourage uh, the reading of solid Christian resources from the pulpit. Uh, and that one, I think, is so important because, you know, we we just t- said that the, the pulpit should be central. Uh, there's actually a chapter in my book where I make that case that we need to have the pulpit be central. Uh, and so if that's the case, then the pastor from the pulpit commending resources is absolutely critical because um, uh, it sets the tone in, uh, for the whole church on what they value and, and so many so much more so there's there's a lot of yeah, yeah no that, can...
0: that's great and if we had more time i would ask you to elaborate but i think just an overview of those six things super helpful that's a great answer and may, maybe one of these days i'll have you back on to talk about uh, especially what you, you've mentioned a few times throughout our, our episode today but uh i uh, just biblical counseling i you know there are many christians i think who like, well, I, yeah, I go to counseling for this, I go to counseling for that. And I always, you know, well, who who's your counselor? And, oh, don't worry, pastor, it's a Christian counselor. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's uh, sadly, there, there's a dynamic difference between a Christian counselor and a biblical counselor. It actually changes the the dynamic of how you counsel. And some Christian counselors could be great. You know, they could be functioning as biblical counselors, but uh, sadly, there are many um, who are Christian counselors, and all that actually means is that they themselves are a professing Christian who counsels in the way that Freud or anybody <laughs> other pagan would, you know, so they're Christians giving pagan counsel, right, you know, Christian counselor. But a biblical counselor is, especially if they've been certified, like you said, um, then, then you can count on them to be someone who is a Christian giving Christian counsel, (laughs) not just a Christian counselor, but a Christian counselor giving Christian counsel, um, a.k.a. a biblical counselor. So maybe we could talk about that sometime in the future, but I'll I'll give you the final word, anything you want to leave our listeners with.
1: Yeah, I just want to say, you know, you might be listening and wondering, what do I do with all this? And in the book, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get you to the light in the God who's given us a book and in the 66 books that constitute the word of God. And I'm, my encouragement is, is, is as you read the book, if you get it, uh, open your Bible, there's over 110 Bible verses in a 110 page book. So there's uh, you know, there you go for every page. There's at least one scripture or more uh read it along open your bible that's you know in Acts 17 11, the berean uh, paul's commended the bereans for you know studying the scripture searching to see if what he said was from the bible so i'm doing the same thing in um, thessalonians uh you know the thessalonians were commended by paul for how they received the word so that's what i would just commend to you be a berean get in the word study it um read it delight in it uh get past the idea that it it's it's legalism. Um mm-hmm. and, and I and I told this on I said this on the four of the church for the gospel podcast. I said if that's what legalism is, sign me up. Uh because right. the- uh, that's that's the if that's legalism, then I'm a legalist and I'm happy to wear that label. But it's not. Mm-hmm. So delight in the Bible, uh, get in the word, love God, love his church, love his people, and uh then you then you'll find that you'll you know gonna be growing in godly character. Um you'll have a desire to engage in evangelism and discipleship, um, to be useful to your neighbor, uh, to be useful in your city, in your community, in, in a world. And and we need you, we need to stand mm-hmm. up and be counted. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I need you, I need you to, to, and I, I need you and you need me in our local churches and, uh, 50 times in the new Testament, we're told that. So yeah, man, we just, we got to get on it and, and get with it, you know, stand yeah. up and be counted. So. Amen. Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much, uh, Joel, for the invitation. I appreciate it. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com slash offer. And thank you for your generous support.